Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Hello and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. In this podcast, we talk to experts in and around the analytics industry. One week, we may talk to a data scientist from a FANG tech company. Then the next week, we may talk to a data engineer or business analyst, or even I may pull one of my consulting clients so you get to hear from an executive on how they use data to drive business decisions day in and day out. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm the founder of Silvertone Analytics, which is a boutique consulting agency that focuses on analytics for medium to small size businesses. I'm also a professor at Greensboro College, where I teach analytics. Most recently, I have founded the Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program, which melds these two job functions together. This is your opportunity to work directly with me and one of my clients. The Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program is a three-month program. In the first month, you're going to be completing the Analytics Foundation Certification backed by Greensboro College. Then in month two, you're going to be taking that knowledge base that you developed in month one and applying it out in the field where you're going to be working with one of my client's executive teams where you're going to be solving a business problem using data and analytics tools. Then in the third month, we're going to bring it all together with a full month of career services. Now, this is going to be quite a bit different than the typical career services at a university or a college. Here, I'm going to help you build a professional brand around where you are as an analyst. So in the first month, you have worked with a ton of different data sets. We're going to take the data sets that really resonate with you to help you hone in on your ideal entry-level job. We're going to build a Tableau public portfolio around that area of expertise. We're going to razor focus your resume and LinkedIn. And I'm also going to coach you on how to talk about yourself in an interview setting. So if you're ready to break into the analytics space, 
head over to learn.silvertonianalytics/apprenticeship and there you can learn more about the program and if you're interested you can apply. With all that being said, let's start the podcast episode. Hello and welcome back to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. Our guest this week is Andrew Jones, who is the founder of Data Science Infinity, which is a learning platform for data scientists, and it's got a strong focus on the interview and the hiring process. So Andrew has had his hand in so many different types of interviews over the years that he's actually become an expert in the data science slash analytics interviewing space. This week, we talk about the state of analytics education. We talk about the interview process. And in the interactive section for this week, we have Molly Welsh, who has made quite a bit of progress from the previous podcast episodes where she came on. And we're going to talk through kind of the mindset you should adopt when you're looking to transition into the analytics space. So to give a quick update on Molly, so she has been building skills for a couple months now and has successfully landed three phone interviews. Now, unfortunately, the first phone interview that she went on, she didn't hear back from. And we're going to talk through how to deal with rejection and stay afloat mentally and emotionally in this process. We're also going to review her resume so that she is going to get an even higher success rate for the jobs that she's posting for. Then Al Bellamy follows up the episode with the Q&A section, where we're actually having video submissions this week from our superfans. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can head over to LinkedIn and look up our landing page there. Every week, we create a LinkedIn event where you can submit questions for Al to ask our guest for the week. This podcast is brought to you by Panoply. Panoply is a platform that allows you to connect to 60 different data sources, where you can study your data in SQL, visualize it in tools like Power BI or Tableau, or even analyze it in your favorite programming language. Click the link in the description down below, and you can get a free two-week trial to panoply.io. Also, one thing that you should consider doing is hitting that subscribe button and ringing the bell. This will give you a notification on each time that we post a podcast episode. And like always, if you want to give back to us, the best thing that you can do is leave a like, a comment in the comment section down below, or even share this on social media. With all that being said, let's jump into the podcast episode. Andrew Jones, how are you doing today? I'm very, very well. Thank you for having me. Uh, I love that accent. What did you say? Last time we talked, you said, oh, I was being a bit cheeky. And I, I love that. <laughs> so I, I know that Al described it in a, in a unique way. He said it was like a redneck Phil Kogan, wasn't it? Cohen, Kogan, don't know how to say his name. But yeah, no, I, I'm from New Zealand originally. So that's where most of the twang comes from. And then I've been in the UK for about 12 years now so I guess there's a bit of a mixture there as well so who knows I must I must sound all sorts of funny oh interesting now I I feel like you could do voice acting if you really wanted to <laughs> well actually that's perfect because you do do educational content which is one of the main things we're going to be talking about is what is the state of data science or analytics education because I know that you just to plug you right fast is it called affinity what, what is the name of your, your platform? So, 
so my program is called data science infinity perfect so what, what are your thoughts on the current state of data science education because it seems like everything is moving online um, yeah so i i mean I guess as a, as a bit of background to start with, so I've been uh, in my career in the very, very fortunate position to have interviewed and screened hundreds of data science and analytical candidates. And, and I, the reason that I say the word fortunate to have done this, because some people don't really like that side of it, but it's taught me so much around, you know, about, you know, not only the candidates themselves, but also the good, the bad and the ugly, I guess, of the hiring process. Um, and the thing that, that over time I've noticed is that there is a bit of a disconnect between what people are learning on, you know, in courses, and, and that can be online courses on Udemy, or it can be a university master's or a university course. There is a, dis a disconnect between people, what people are being taught and what hiring managers are really wanting to see in the real world. Um, and, and not to plug myself at all, but that, that was kind of the, the premise behind why I went on and created Data Science Infinity to try and bridge that gap. Um, but to go into a little bit more detail around what, I'm, what I mean, um, I mean, it's so, so, so common to see candidates doing things like jumping into deep learning before getting a, a really good understanding of, you know, the more fundamental machine learning algorithms uh, and other techniques that can essentially solve like 95% of business problems if they even needed machine learning thrown at them in the first place. Um, I'm seeing a huge volume of candidates who are very focused on skills and tools and, and maybe not focused enough on the value that they can add or the, the impact they can have will, with those skills and tools. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, those skills and tools, they're super important. They, are, uh, you know, they, they just don't add value in isolation. So they need to be used in clever and appropriate and often mm. quite simple ways to really go on and solve business problems. Um, yeah, I do have some thoughts on this. Uh, I think that there's some things going on kind of in the education space and that skills skills education is being commodified. And the, and the, the kind of the outcrop of that is that people are getting certifications. And it seems like there's a disconnect between certifications and what most of the hiring managers that we've had on the podcast mm -hmm. are looking for. So Bethany Klobinov is a great example of this. She hires people with um, Tableau and Power BI skills. And I asked her directly, do you care about a certification? And she's like, I mean, certifications give you a base level of indication that you know where the buttons are on a tool, mm -hmm. but all of that is pretty much Googleable. What is much more effective is telling how you use that tools to drive a business outcome. And it seems like essentially what's happening is that the education space is capitalizing on people having this kind of anxiety around, I want to, I want to get into the analytic space. And if I have this tool, it makes them feel like kind of, it's like a self-soothing mechanism of, oh, I'm, I do have analytic skills. So therefore I can get the job. And I'm wondering if that's going to kind of correct itself out. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on certifications in general? I, I agree completely with what you've said. Um, but I mean, the premise is as a data scientist or a data analyst or anyone in the data space, really, we're, we're, we're here to solve problems, right? We're not here. We're not sitting and we're not there to just sit in the room and be smart. It doesn't actually do anybody any favors. Um, but yeah, there is, there are so many different online courses that you can take and so many certifications that you can get 
Um, and, and I guess, you know, over the last year with how things have been in the world, that's probably kicked that off even more. Um, and I actually put a post up on LinkedIn about this this morning. And, and, and it was essentially that, you know, the, the online education market or industry, that's still only, you know, a baby compared to where it's going to go. I just see that continuing to grow. But the, the most important thing that we can do, especially, you know, as content or as course creators is to make sure that our, our educational priority is, is firmly on getting students results, not on getting students certificates or getting them degrees, because there is a difference there. Some people will say, well, they're kind of the same thing, right? Well, they're not the same thing. Getting, uh, getting a certificate is one thing. And, and I, I'm not here to say that certificates aren't a good thing. Like if you get a certificate, you should be super proud of that. You worked hard to get that. You should post it on LinkedIn. You should put it on your resume because you have done some hard work to achieve something. And that's awesome. But just don't think that that on its own is going to hold any weight with a hiring manager necessarily, because I agree it doesn't, it doesn't show the hiring manager or doesn't prove to the hiring manager anything in particular. Um, so, I mean, do, do all of the certificates, you know, the, the courses and get the certificates that that is a great way to learn. My advice is that when you put them on your resume to make them hold some weight, all you need to do, and it's a very sort of simple thing is underneath each certificate that you've earned, put a one liner, which says key learnings and, and, and list the things that you think would interest people to know about what you've learned from that course or, you know, what you got with that certificate, because that takes it from just text you know, I got this Python certificate that doesn't, that doesn't show me anything as a hiring manager, but, but showing that you learned web scraping that could be used to do this, 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 or whatever it may be that then gets the, the cogs in the hiring manager's brain going, well, I see where that could be used here. That actually means something to me. So I'm not, I'm not in any way saying don't go for certificates. I'm just saying frame them in a way, frame the things you learned in a way that is all about the value you can add. Cause that at the end of the day, that's what a hiring manager needs. They need you to come into their team and solve problems. Right. Okay. That is a really good point that you bring up. And it makes me think of the difference between a degree and a certificate. Cause I know that some jobs you have to have a certain level of degree um, and you're going to be weeded out of the candidate pool if you don't have a master's or you don't have an undergraduate degree. But I don't think that, um, to use a Harry Potter analogy, the the certifications are kind of that sorting hat, you know, like you go to Gryffindor, you go to Slytherin or wherever. But I think it does, I think you're right, it does send a signal that you have at least, because there there's a cost there of that you have to pass a, a certification exam. So that means that you had to study. And I know with um, some of the exams, you can have Google up, but you can't Google the entire curriculum and pass within that time frame. So I think there is somewhat of a signal there, but it's not like the same signal of I spent four years and took all of these credit hours to get this degree. Yeah, I mean, there is, uh, it's a hard one. Like a, a, if you've got a master's in data science, for example, that, that proves something. It, it definitely does. It doesn't prove everything though. And, and like I said before, I, I have been in this very fortunate position to, have interviewed and screened hundreds of candidates at, at companies like Amazon and Sony where, you know, the bar is very high and 
you do see you do see people coming in who have PhDs or they have masters and they're not the best candidate. There's somebody who who learned in a in a much more unconventional way who you just you see the way that they think and the way they solve problems and the way they can add value to the team and you know the business and, and you you choose them because they're the one that the metric that I'm basing my decision on isn't what letters you have after your name. It's, mm. it's what can I see you doing for me as a hiring manager? Like hiring managers, hiring managers wouldn't say it, but the thing they need is for you to make them look good. It's to make the team look good and it's to make the company money, which makes them look good. They're not going right. to say that, but at the end of the day, that's the metric which you're competing against. I think a, a PhD or a master's, that's more a filtering tool for a recruitment agent because they they think that's an easier way to narrow down the pool. But I think there are better ways to do that. It's not super easy, but I, I think having some sort of easy, uh, sort of transparent skills-based assessment early on in the funnel, which which weeds out anybody that doesn't have the core competencies for the role, and then you sort of move the rest of the people who you know have the skills to do what you need. You move them into the the part of the interview funnel where you can invest more time in them and you can understand what's what makes them tick and how they how they turn sort of business problems into data science or analytical solutions. You, you can invest that time in them. I don't, I don't think having a PhD or having a master's necessarily tells you that. And I'm not, again, like like what I said before, I'm not in any way bagging a PhD. I think a PhD is an incredible um, achievement and you should be super proud of it. I just, I don't think from a, an interviewer point of view that it, it tells me everything about whether you're going to be the best candidate for the role. Okay. I love where this conversation is going because I have seen this in, anecdotally. So my MBA cohort was split 50, 50 between those who went directly from undergrad to graduate program to the other half spent, I don't know, three to five years working and it seemed like a night and day difference between those who had worked and were actively building skills to where it seemed like some of the people who went from undergrad to graduate, it was almost like a life avoidance strategy of like, oh, I really enjoyed college. Let's extend it out for two two more years. Um, and because I think that that is a pitfall that you fall into of the the letters behind my name are going to carry me. And it's like, just not the case. In fact, it might hinder you because if you are underskilled but overeducated, that puts you in a very precarious situation when you're out trying to find a job. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I want to make it very clear that I'm not in any way saying that those things aren't achievements you should be super proud of because they are, they take a huge amount of work. I, I mean, I haven't gone on to get a, a PhD or something. I'd I probably couldn't go on and do that, but you know, I chose a different path. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think when you're when you're early in your career, they probably help you a little bit more because they're a little bit of an insurance policy for people looking at people looking at a, a group of people who don't have that much work experience to talk about, and therefore you've got somebody with a PhD that proves something to you, right? That proves that they've gone and done something incredible and. And that's a great thing. I think the further you get in your career, the less relevance, you know, your formal education had, because now, now the things that are driving a hiring manager's interest in you are, are the problems that you've solved and how can you translate them to solve the problems that, that they have? Yeah, it actually, that, that reminds me of something that um, I was listening to Jordan, a Jordan Peterson clip and he was talking about 
as you get older, it makes less and less sense to compare yourself with others. Because I mean, if you've worked in a specific industry for 10 years, it doesn't make sense to compare yourself to someone who works in a completely different industry with different pressures. So you need to compare yourself to where you were yesterday, which is something that we're going to get into with Molly and kind of the mindset around career transition. But um, what I did want to talk about a little bit more is that, all right, so I feel like you, you have been, I don't know, graceful about not bashing higher education, which I think that it does have its place. But one thing that really stuck out to me in the Jay Sueno interview, um, who he just landed a job at Amazon, is that he started a nonprofit. And that was one of the, I would say, biggest signifiers in his body of work that I think helped him land that job. Are there any specific like tactical advices that you can give of how can you differentiate yourself or signify that you kind of are a good candidate that will help the manager look good and help make the money, the company make more money? We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David's students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. Well, I I think a lot of the the reality is you probably, and this again is more sort of early in your career where you're more of a a generalist rather than a specialist and you you know you can go right through your career being a generalist that's not a bad thing but there are times when you might go more specialized into like computer vision or something for example at the start of your career when you're more of a generalist just by the nature of how how it has to be the chances are when you're applying for a new role you you haven't solved the specific problems that they're looking for you to solve so i think you really have to showcase clearly and logically how how you use your skills to solve problems and and i i think we might sort of get onto this a little bit more later on in the interview um but i think one thing you can do is just illustrate everything in a in a really clear ordered narrative that that gives them everything they need to know about you and how you solve problems and and it's something as simple as like the star approach that you see it's super super simple Mm -hmm. but you're just starting with a nice clear view of what the business problem was like why were you doing this why were you working on that project and then sort of move into what it was you did to solve it and and something else that can be really, really good to think about when you're preparing for interviews or you're, you know, you're noting down things you've done in projects is think about things like, I chose solution A, 
but why did I choose solution A? What was it over solution B and C, which I also considered that meant I chose solution A? So if you can show that, you know, I might not have solved that exact problem, but look how I can solve a problem. Look how I can sort of research, you know, what I need to do and I can understand what success means. And I can then look at of the three possible solutions that I have on the table. The reason that I chose solution A is because of efficiency and cost and some other reason, for example. That stuff is super impressive for a hiring manager because they're, they're saying, well, yeah, you've never solved this particular recommendation engine thing before, but I can see that you could, you know, give you a month and I'm sure you could, you know, nut it out, but, you know, and then follow that up with what was the impact that I had, you know, all of that work that I did, did I understand what the impact was for the business or for the customer, for the end user? Because again, that's what's driving the business's profits. You know, the, the, the like what was the effect that it had in a tangible way? Like what was the cost saving? What was the revenue it drove? If you can show that you understand the business problem, you have the, the understanding of the technical aspects of what you do and you understand the business impact it had, then there's no reason you can't go and solve any problem that's put in front of you, I think. So that kind of general approach, not only does it show everybody that you can solve different problems but it's this really nice way to have a, a clear narrative when you explain it to people so you're not missing anything yeah the buzzword that's coming to mind is critical thinking skills mm -hmm. that's and it's funny because you hear that over and over again of we teach critical thinking but it's really challenging to do that in a classroom setting or even on a, in an online space and uh I think some ways around it are like hackathons or like data challenges where, and well, what I've done, um, I just wrapped up this semester, but I actually had, um, so I taught the analytics minor capstone at Greensboro College, and I broke my students into two teams, and I partnered them with uh, two of my consulting clients. So one worked with the president of a company, one worked with the CFO of another, and they were working on novel problems that I didn't carve out that were real, and they, it was fascinating to see them apply the frameworks that I've given them and kind of, and actually I want you to critique me. So the way that I've been trying to get at this critical thinking or convey that in a classroom setting is that it's the game of X. So the game of sales. So what are the major key indicators? So you obviously total sales is probably the biggest one. So every company, every salesperson has a quota and it needs to be higher than it was the time period before. Mm -hmm. Then, well, what are some potential secondary KPIs there? Well, maybe deal size and then number of customers or purchases. So those are kind of the, the main scoreboard metrics, so to speak. And then how can you start to make decisions and use data to uncover insights to, to drive those most important metrics? Um, I mean, what do you think about that approach to kind of getting at, because Danny Lauer, who was on last episode, he, he uses a star method. I really like this kind of like, what is the game that we're playing? Because then then it's kind of like, you're like if it's a, you know, let's make a basketball on, um, metaphor, then you're the point guard, you're calling plays of like, all right, we need to do this play to get this KPI up. So I, I don't think there's too much there's probably too much difference between the star method and what you're explaining. I think it's just maybe a, a different way of thinking about it. When I think of the star method, you know, th that first section is around the context of why we're doing it. And I guess that would be that same question that you're asking, like, what is it we're trying to make a 
change in like what's the what it brought as broad as you want like what's the business problem we're looking to solve mm-hmm. or what's the what's the metric we're looking to change over time um but that I, I completely i completely agree with what you've said there i think the best place to start and i i i go on and on and on and on about this in the data science infinity content is always start with the business problem and work back to the data science solution or analytical solution from there never the other way around um, and that's exactly what you're doing there, right? You're, you're thinking about what what is the most important thing we need to be focusing on, and you've you know you've said total sales, and then I, I guess you know what are the drivers of total sales, and you can do some analysis on that um, because understanding what it is that has an impact on total sales helps you understand that one level back around what are the things we need to be doing from a more technical point of view to have the biggest impact on that final metric which is total sales if we don't understand what those drivers are then we're sort of just throwing you know we're blindfolded throwing darts at a board we're sort of guessing um but if you can understand what are the what are the key drivers what are the things that make that metric tick that helps you uncover exact you know what's the most efficient and most effective data science thing (laughs) we can put in place which will have the biggest impact on it yeah well i think that um Something that I've heard kind of through back channels is that a lot of people in the analytics or the data science space are not very disciplined in their thinking. So for example, I had this one C-suite executive that was complaining that the data science on their team, their data scientists spent like, I don't know, an inordinate amount of time, like um, 60% of his work week working on this one tweak that increased profitability by 0.002%. But it was like this oh, well, I can create this very sophisticated algorithm that can then do all this, blah, 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 blah. And the the output was just, and when you put it in the broad context, it's like you got hyper fixated on something that doesn't really move the needle forward. And I think that that is something that kind of gets back to that mindset, that, that mindset of it's not about showing how technically savvy you are and how brilliant of a mathematician you are. It's about, do you understand what is what is at stake here? And you can you effectively make decisions to drive you know, the, the business forward? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I from, from my experience, you know, that place, I mean, Amazon was, working at Amazon was like working with the smartest people that you could possibly come across, right? It's super intimidating when you first start, start working there. Everyone is just, including people that you don't expect to have technical skills like the marketing team, they're super switched on. You can't fool them with anything. But um, the, the, the real key thing that you, you get at Amazon is they're all thinking about what, what makes everything else move, what gets that flywheel spinning. Because I mean, at the end of the day, whether you're a data scientist or you're a data analyst or, or whatever you are, we're essentially there to en- enhance and accelerate business decision-making. We're not there to get in the way of it. So really, really understanding what drives the business is is absolutely, a, you know, it's it's something that is the difference between a good data scientist and a great data scientist. The, the By far the best data scientists that I've worked with, and I've, I've said this before, by far the best data scientists that I've worked with are not the ones who are brilliant at mathematics or brilliant at coding or you know they know 25 machine learning algorithms like the back of their hand you know they're 
they they have all of those skills to some degree, but they're the ones that can understand a business problem. They're the one that can apply their appropriate data science solution because you can build the most complex solution in the world, but it might take you, you know, six months to to get it implemented, and therefore you've missed the opportunity. Your competitors have come in, or maybe you know the the key people in the business the key stakeholders the the key people from management they don't quite understand it they don't trust it they don't want it being used on their customers because they don't understand the impact of it and therefore it gets put on the shelf but if you've done something simpler which maybe wasn't quite as effective but it was going to be done in a week and then maybe you could iterate from there that that's what i'm talking about that's what adds value and and as soon as you add value and you keep adding value to the business that's when you get promoted that's when you move up to a better position at another company it's not about sitting there looking smart that that's great sure like i'm sure people who are smart love 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 sitting there being smart but it's not the thing that will drive your career it's all about adding value with the tools and the skills that you know yeah. Well, what's funny is like relating this back to what we were talking about with the certifications, there seems to be this like misconception in the space that I am technically savvy. I'm rock solid. And I, I think that it comes actually from this, this place of scarcity and kind of like, yeah, if you're working at Amazon and everyone is some of the most brilliant people you've ever met, you might want to overly, I don't know, like overshow how much you know math or I don't know algorithms or something like that to where it's often the most simple bootstrappy solution which um, I'm a huge fan of Naval Ravikant and one thing that he says when he hires people is that he looks for founders mentality and I don't have you ever heard that term before no I haven't but I can kind of guess what you mean tell me about it okay so uh, going back to the, the Jay Sueno example, him, he's, him starting a nonprofit, I, I, what that signal sends in the interview, I believe, to the hiring manager is that this person understands scarcity, that if you're starting a business, you have to make sacrifices, there are external pressures upon you, and things may not be pretty, but you get to that you know, minimal viable product, and you release, and then you iterate, kind of like what you said as opposed to, and, and it's it's actually outwardly facing, like you are, like Amazon is, what is it, customer obsessed? Mm-hmm. You're focused on what is out there in the marketplace to where, and it, this relates back to, you know, be, being overly specialized or overly sophisticated in your solution. It's about you and your ego and showing how great and impressive you are. When really you could have, instead of allocating five days or four days of your week to that thing, you could have gone with the, a little bit bootstrappy, less impressive solution, but effective one. So founder's mentality is that you are, you're bought in and you treat your job or whatever you're doing as you have ownership in it. So like starting that, starting that nonprofit, he had skin in the game. He, you know, the, the, decisions he made had consequences that he felt to where if you're an employee and you're misallocating your time, it doesn't really affect you. If anything, it kind of benefits you because then you can basically spend your time learning this new skill set that is completely divorced from what your hiring manager or even broadly, even more broadly speaking, the company needs you to focus on. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and, uh, do you know what you, you mentioned a minimum viable product there. Mm -hmm. I, I genuinely think, 
that one thing, that one concept is, is the solution to <laughs> why so many, you know, we, we hear these reports coming out saying 85% of AI or machine learning or data science projects fail. I don't know how they come up to how they come up with that sort of measurement, but I understand what they mean, but an MVP solution, it doesn't have to be simple because you don't know how to do something more complex. If you can, if you have a certain business problem that you need to solve, start with an MVP solution, get everybody who needs to be involved in that project, understanding how it works on a simple level and showcase that there's some value to be had from that particular solution. And then once you've got everybody involved and everybody understands how it works, then there's no reason why version two can't be way more complex because you've, you've already got everyone in on it. You've already sold the idea to people. You've already started proving the value. And then you just need to, you know, you can spend time building version two, which can be more compl complex because you've already got something rolling. Uh, and, and on, you know, conversely to that, if the MVP fails or it shows up, you know, some, some big weaknesses in the initial idea, then that's super useful too, because then you can, you can do, and this is a thing that Amazon talk about all the time is you can fail, but you fail fast, right? You, you understand when something isn't going to work and you, you pull the pin and you move on to the next thing um, rather than investing so much time and so much money into something takes you six months and a whole lot of data science or data engineering resource which is expensive and then you find that it's not working or it's misaligned with what you know the original business problem was and it, it's just a waste of time and a waste of money so i think that one idea is one of the most powerful concepts for for why a lot of these projects are seen as failing at the moment yeah well i think that you completely reframe failure from oh this isn't failure this is feedback and then you kind of make yourself bulletproof and you kind of divorce yourself. You're not ego invested. You're not, you're not staking your job on this project working. It's, it's actually kind of a conversational tool of, hey, here's my idea. Here's a concept. And then you reach out to either customers or your manager for feedback. And they're like, oh, this is a really good frame. Or, you know, this needs to change. This needs to change. But you're checking in. And it's kind of a risk mitigation strategy from their end. Because if you, so to, to kind of parallel something that, happened in my life. Um, so I teamed up with Super Data Science to build out the, this Power BI certification course on Udemy. I spent probably 100 hours just working alone, building out content before we launched it. And that was one of the most stressful launches that I've done, because usually I do a, a beta test and get quick feedback and kind of like map out the course based on what people are saying they want. But um, I mean, luckily the course is doing all right, but I could have been completely off base in how I approached it. And then that is a sunk investment right there. Those hundred hours are just worthless. I'm going to have to go back and reinvest my time to fix that if I even wanted to salvage it um, to where it kind of relates back to your manager. of If you're spending two months on this project and you're not getting, you're not checking in with them you might bring it up to, you know, a, a board meeting or a pitch meeting, and it's just completely off base. That's going to make him and you look bad. Yeah, completely agree. Awesome. All right. So let's pivot into something that our audience has been asking about is, is there a bubble in the data science analytics space? And is there, is there kind of like an oversupply and an under demand? Um, that seems to be kind of a generalized anxiety that that our audience is feeling? 
Uh, yeah, I think I think there probably has been a bit of hype around data science and, and I, you know, artificial intelligence. Uh, in no way do I think that the data science industry or, you know, the market still isn't growing. It definitely is, you know, and it's growing rapidly because everything continues to become more and more data driven. Um, but I think perhaps we're just seeing the, the sort of the broader industries of data science and artificial intelligence maybe mature slightly. Um, I mean, terms like AI and data science, you know, they, they were hyped up a couple of years ago. It's, it's flattening a little bit, like I say, but, you know, there was a point where everything anyone built would have had the term AI on it or, you know, companies were thinking that, well, I guess they were sort of under the false assumption that a data scientist could come in and solve all of their data you know, all of their data problems, whatever it may be, they thought the data scientist was the person that would just wave a magic wand and, and you know, all their problems would go. Um, and, and like I touched on before, we're now seeing these reports like, you know, 85% of AI projects fail. And I, like I said, I don't really understand how they're measuring that, you know, what exactly is an AI project? What exactly does failure mean? Um, I think there's a lot of wiggle room around a statement like that, but I do understand, I do understand where they're coming from. I think people and I think people and companies believed that AI and data science were these things that would just come in and solve everything. And there was this vicious cycle where people like analytics managers or chief data officers, you know, they'd feel pressured to invest heavily in it because everyone else was doing it. And it just sort of turned into this, this vicious spiral. Um, and now we're probably seeing that flatten a bit, like I say, uh, but in a way we we're, we're, it's not that, it's not that data science isn't as effective as it's ever been. It's more that now the industry is looking at it more sensibly than it did before, I think. Uh, but unfortunately, yeah. we're now seeing, um, we're seeing, I see posts and articles all the time with things like data engineering is now going to take over data science. And it's just like, what are you even talking about? That's just like more hype put somewhere else. I mean, the reality I think that the industry is coming to is that data science, I, I talk more about data science, but I, th I think there's a big crossover between analytics and data science personally. Um, but I think people are understanding that it's a slightly more specific area than we initially thought. And with maybe more support from like data engineering, you know, we can get so much more for our investment. Um, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I was saying, I think if you, if you have one data scientist uh, and they, this is a bit of a funny example. If, if you have one data scientist in your company, I think they'd probably give you like 50 hypothetical value points. And if you only had one data engineer, they would give you 50 value points. I don't think there's a difference, you know, but, but if you have a data scientist and you have a data engineer, I think you're going to get way more than 50 plus 50. I think you're going to get these two similar, but overlapping uh, skill sets working together. You know, we're going to have the right data coming in. We're going to have it in the right place. And then we're going to have the right people you know, using their skill set, the, the skill set which they're passionate about and that they've used before, driving those, you know, those, the value that we need from them, driving that tangible impact that we want. So I, I don't think there's this sort of head-to-head -head battle between data engineering and data science. I think that people are just now understanding that data science isn't magic. It's just part of the bigger puzzle and the value is still there. So it's still growing, but it's just, hopefully people are understanding that a little bit more. Yeah. Well, it also too, it, it seems like uh, what is happening now is that people who are non-data people, so like marketing people are now studying and getting analytics skills. I think that kind of hybrid um, 
role or function is going to continue to grow. And it's going to, it's almost like the data scientists used to be the only person who had that, those skills. And now it's kind of trickulating down into the kind of normie roles, people who aren't at traditionally as data savvy. Um, so overall consensus, data science is going to continue to grow, continue to <laughs> move in this direction. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Like anything else, it will evolve over time and there's always new tools coming in and people are now talking more about data engineering, but I, I see that as a complementary area of um, the business that needs to be there as well as data science. It's not a sort of zero sum game. Um, the data science, data engineering thing's quite interesting. There's always, it's always like a controversial topic. Yeah, we've, well, we've gotten multiple questions about data engineering. So I'm glad that you touched on that. Cause I, it's funny cause I'm, I'm more of like the normie people where I like know a little bit of, well, I basically know GUIs. Like I know Tableau and Power BI and that is enough leverage for me to create a lot of value in my consulting agency for these companies that have no infrastructure and they're just basically making decisions off of, well, that's, that's how we've done it for years. And my intuition is telling me that I should make this decision. So I think that that's going to continue to, to trickle down. And yeah, I'm kind of curious how big this market's going to be long-term. Yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, like, like I say, I think the, the market's not going to go, it's not going to go away. I mean, everybody's definitely becoming more data-driven. I, you, see, you see people always talking about things like auto ML coming and taking away data science jobs. I don't see that happening anytime soon. I've... It, auto ML can be kind of useful in, in cases where you're working with quite vanilla business problems. Um, but wherever I've worked, there's always been these more niche problems and the data is different and the scenario is different. And you can't just grab something off a shelf and plug it in. It's not quite as easy as that. Um, so you do need people who are thinking about the data and thinking about how we should best attack that particular business problem or what the different options are. I don't, I don't see that going away anytime soon. Sweet. All right. So let's move on to the, the last question I have for you, which is what are the best ways to showcase your skill sets? Like how do you signal what you know? Well, we, I guess we've talked about this a little bit mm -hmm. already, you know, we've touched on it. I think, I think for me, there's probably four, four kind of areas or four ways where you can showcase your skills. If you're, you know, maybe thinking more about a new or an aspiring data scientist or an aspiring data analyst. So you've got your, you know, you've got your resume or your CV, you've potentially got a portfolio of projects that you've built, you may or may not, but that's an area where you can sort of showcase what you've done. You might then look to use social media or networking to show people what you're, what you're working on. And then I also see the area of interviewing itself um as you know sort of an area where you showcase your skills it's just that you're doing it more formally and i get i get a ton of questions around this kind of area so people wanting uh resume or cv advice or help understanding how to make their project stand out or you know uh help sort of getting ahead in interviews or understanding what it is that hiring managers are looking for and that's actually a huge part of what i do in in data science infinity is is sort of helping people understand that a little bit better but because we don't have all the time in the world, I was thinking I could give my my one bit of advice, which I think is probably the best way to think about how to showcase your skills. And we did touch on this a little bit earlier. Um, and that's really sort of using the, the star technique, but I'm going to give you a little bit of it. I'm going to give you an extra letter as well. 
Um, and the other thing I wanted to say was don't think of those four things. So, you know, your resume, your, your portfolio of projects, your, you know, things you do on social media and the way that you answer questions in, in interviews. Don't think of those as four disparate things. Think of them as all relating to the same core ideas. And if you document them and you sort of talk about them in the same way, then you're actually putting yourself in a really strong position. Um, so I was thinking if I sort of run through the star format, how I see what you should kind of be doing. Um, and like I say, so the star format, everyone knows about the star format, but I'm going to talk about the star E format. So there's an I on the end. Um, it's like a bonus letter. Uh, but this came because uh, when I was at Amazon, I had a colleague called Gail Gallagher and she's now the, she's not at Amazon anymore, but she is now the Amazon interview whiz. Um, where she actually has online training for people that want to get jobs at Amazon. And if you are looking for a job at Amazon, or if you're like just looking for any job, because Amazon has a really good interview process, go check out her YouTube channel. I don't think there's any better interview advice that you'll find, but this is her take on the star approach. And there's this extra eye on the end. So I'll tell you about that in a second. But basically what you want to do is if you've not heard of the star approach, you've got S, which is the situation. So that's like we said before, that's where you want to give the context. Like what was the business problem? Why are we solving it? Why did we need to solve it? And that puts, you know, if somebody's reading a project you've done or they're reading your resume or they're listening to you in an interview that gives them the context of what it is you're about to talk about. Like, why were you doing this? And that's super important. And people often miss that. They just, they dive straight into what they did. Um, and this can be a really powerful way to bring an interviewer into your into your narrative. So I definitely advise preparing everything in this way. The next letter you've got T, which is task, which is just you know what you did versus what other people in in the sort of project did. And this is super simple. It can be one sentence or one line. Um, and then you then you move into A, which is the actions, and that's kind of what you you know what precisely you did so the specific actions that you took from the inception of the project right through to the conclusion and again I kind of touched on this before but you really want to refine this down to a really nice concise and sort of compelling narrative so you, you prepare this take a bit of time do a few versions of it and keep in mind extra sort of auxiliary information around things like why you cho chose solution A over solution B. I mentioned this before, but that can be so powerful um, and even more powerful if you're in sort of consulting roles where you're gonna be, uh, or, or maybe a role where you're managing other data scientists or other data analysts, because you're showing that you've got this really good grasp of why, why one solution or one approach might be better than others. And you're taking into account more than just technical things. You're thinking about, you know, business needs or timelines or whatever it may be. That sort of stuff is gold dust for, for interviewers to hear, or, you know, it's the same when you're, when you're writing down your project, do it in the same way. Um, and, and a good interviewer will ask you things like that. Definitely. Um, and then you've got R, which is the results. And this is super important, but again, like the introduction, people miss this for some reason they don't think that the results of a project they've done are, are interesting to anyone or important to anyone but they are it, it shows it shows the impact that your work has and it shows that you understand that impact from a business point of view which gives you this much more well-rounded appearance to a hiring manager um and try to use tangible figures there so use you know it drove a hundred thousand dollars in sales or it saw you know it saved this many hours per week of of analyst time or whatever it may be because then people can 
they can really understand what it was you did and they can it, it start it's sort of a subconscious thing for them they can see the value you're adding and they start thinking about how that how that would work if you were in their team oh yeah really- they could see you what's the return on investment if i invest for, in this person what am i going to get yeah. back um it's i'm just laughing because there's so much overlap and kind of what we've both been preaching it's it's just hilarious because I, yeah. I say dollars and cents quantify it in dollars and cents whenever you can yeah yeah i completely agree it, it makes such a difference and and if you if you interview at amazon and you say oh you know the impact was you know it had an effect on sales they'll say how much was the effect on sales like what was the number they 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 believe you should know that even though you were the analyst or the, the data scientist and maybe that wasn't kind of specifically your area you should know the impact of what you've done because maybe in three months time or six months time you're going to be asked to iterate on that or you're going to be asked to improve on it or understand it and you should you should know everything about your project from sort of inception right through to conclusion that that's what a good analyst or a good data scientist you know should know about the project and then this bonus letter which i've promised which i've hyped up it's not that exciting but it's uh, it's the letter i and that is improvement right so think about for every project that you've worked on ask yourself if i could start this project again now what would i do differently or if i had more time what would i do differently and this sort of thinking can be uh, it's similar to what i said before this sort of thing can just be gold dust for interviewers ears they just they light up when you talk about this stuff because not only does it show an awareness of the business impact, it shows that you've got this real understanding of the nuance of the sort of the technical side of things that you're doing because you understand, well, you know, six months ago I built this, but now I've learned, you know, all of these other techniques and I believe that would be better. I understand what the differences are. And, and that in itself is this sort of growth mindset. It always, it always shows that you're looking to improve. And, and these are these subconscious hints that you're just giving the interviewer and, and that sort of that sort of subconscious thing can really add up. Um, you might you yeah. might think it's a subtle difference, but it can really it can really help your chances. Um, so so I guess sort of going back to my <laughs> back to my original point, um, the reason that I say this is the, the reason that I've said this is the one thing I wanted to talk about was um, that you can utilize this kind of star approach for all of those four areas. So for, you know, for each project on your resume, you just want to boil this down to one sentence on what the context was, one sentence on what you did and one sentence on what the results were. And you've given, you know, you've, you've just, you've made that right down into this concise nugget of information, which they can understand the value you add, but they can also see the skills and tools that you used for any projects that you built, try to, you know, whether it's on GitHub or wherever you're, documenting them you know complete them in that same order give some context then go into you know what it was you did with some thoughts around what other approaches you might have tried and then at the end maybe a note around things you might want to do in the future additions you might want to do what would a version two look like it's the same outline Mm -hmm. and then you've got the beauty when you go into an interview this stuff just falls out of your mouth because everything that you've done you know in your resume and social media and in your in your portfolio it's all in this nice fluid narrative and that just comes out. It's obviously in a lot more detail, you know, and all of it's sort of gory and impressive detail when you're talking to an interviewer, but in your head, it's so clear now, you know, that this, this narrative that you need to tell is so clear. And then when you tell a clear narrative, people just, 
they don't have any follow-up questions they just go this guy's good this girl's good you know like it, yeah it's so powerful so don't think of those four things as different think of them all as the same you're just either shrinking it down or you're expanding it up so so when you prepare for an interview that's my biggest bit of advice prepare for everything in that sort of star or starry format and then everything should just sort of flow together nicely what's funny is we i didn't realize um we were going to talk about amazon so much because we just had danny lauer who reached out to me about hiring me for his um his team he's a product manager at amazon and we talked a lot about um kind of preparing for the amazon the amazon interview what's funny is that he wanted to add an additional letter out it was an r right was it replicate i have to apologize i don't know. <laughs> i thought you were taking notes all right so he you gotta cue me up with these things <laughs> Yeah, but put now on the spot. Oh, oh no. So the uh, he said the extra R, which I believe was replicate. And what what's interesting about that, and I, I think we kind of talked about that in the, in the last interview of you're starting to think of it as a system, like a systems thinking approach, as opposed to instead of just this being one problem in isolation, you start thinking about all right. Well, maybe I need to develop an effective way of of approaching how to solve these types of problems. Um, which is kind of what I've done. That's how I built my consulting agency is that I started, I mean, I took an internship that was designed for someone who was like a sophomore and undergrad and then de developed a whole analytics infrastructure. And now what I've es essentially done is replicated that framework with other organizations. Um, and it's funny because you make those like little incremental um, improvements upon those, but then it's like you have you have that whole, that whole framework that you're working with, which is, it's, it's hard one. It's, it's, you are making these thoughtful decisions because things have gone awry in the past. You, you basically earn that framework, which I think is, um, I like that. I like that, that I improvement. Cause then, yeah, you, you've got that critical lens of, all right, this worked but how could it work better in the future? And yeah, you're right. That's from a hiring manager's perspective. I want to hire this person because they're going to make me look better and they're going to make more money and they're going to improve the way that we do business. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is. It's thinking about what can I do better in the future, but also looking back at something I've built in the past. Now I've learned X, Y, and Z, I would do that differently. And that, that also doesn't have to be from a technical point of view, right? Like if somebody asked me what, you know, with that project you did a year ago, what would you have done differently? And maybe, maybe technically I thought it was brilliant, but I, you know, since then I've, I've sort of built my skills of maybe stakeholder management or, you know, communication. And I could say, well, you know, one part of that project that was really hard was selling it into this particular manager. And since then I've, you know, I've taken this course on something or I've, you know, learned another way to do it. And I think the way I would attack that now is this, and it, it, it's just so powerful to see it's, the things that I'm talking about are not, they're not difficult to put in place. You just need to sit down and, and put them in that structure, write them down, have a bit of a think about it, sleep overnight, do it again the next day, you know, because your mind will have ticked over and, you know, it's nothing complicated to do this, but trust me, when you're interviewing, 99% of candidates come in and they just want to shout about the skills they have and they want to tell you about what they did, what they did, what they did, and they want to tell you that nothing went wrong and it was perfect. And if you come in with this framework, 
honestly, you're going to stand out from so many other candidates. Awesome. All right, Molly, I hope you're ready. So we're, Andrew, we're going to have a data therapy session. So Molly, I want an update on kind of where you're at right now, because uh, for those of you listening, me and Molly actually hung out last night and got dinner. But so I know, but I want you to kind of share, because you've made some headway. Yeah, I guess you could say that. <laughs> um, I had a informational interview last week. I did not hear back from them, but in a couple hours, I do have two more informational interviews for. Um, Wait, these are informational interviews. Is just to get to know you. You're in the. Yeah. You're doing phone screenings, right? Yes. I've, okay, so yeah. it's, it's slightly different. So you're they're actually interested in you. So basically within the past, what, two weeks, you have lined up three interviews. And what's interesting is like last night over dinner, you were like, I'm so upset. I didn't hear back from this first one. And I think your, your, whole, your mindset on this is focusing on the negative where you can easily just flip this and say, within a very short amount of time, I've had three opportunities come my way. And one of them didn't work out, but I have two more. And the fact that within two weeks, I've, I've dug up three opportunities, I can continue to do that. Um, yeah, so I think the idea that I need to change is that, oh, I didn't have what they were looking for. I'm sorry if you hear my maintenance next door sounds like they are tearing down a wall with a sledgehammer. <laughs> so um, no um, this idea that, oh, I didn't have what they were looking for this first position. They're all analytics positions. Am I going to have what they are looking for in these other two positions or you know, the rest to come. I'm so sorry. It is getting very loud. <laughs> no worries. So Andrew, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on how can you set the appropriate expectations kind of transitioning into the um, analytics space? Like is, I, I'm super impressed that Molly, you were able to get those opportunities so fast. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that, Andrew? So I would say that I agree with what you know has been said so far that you you should be thinking really positively about what you've achieved so far and even though even though maybe you haven't heard back from that role maybe maybe you will hear back from that role even if you don't 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 worry too much uh, something I, I have a I have a specific tutorial in data science infinity around you know job rejections right it's it's something that unless you're super lucky you're going to encounter because, you know, building up a skill set and transitioning into a new industry or a new sort of career path, that does take time. But think about two things. So every time you interview and maybe you don't get it, that's practice, right? Say, say you do 10 interviews and you don't get a role. By that, by, when you're in interview 11, think about how good you are, how good you're going to be at answering interview questions. Because they're going to be similar, right? There always, there's always slight differences. There's different teams, different companies. Mm -hmm. But those similar kind of themes come up and you'll have answered them a few times now. And you're going to get really, really good at doing that. It's like anything. Practice makes perfect. And unfortunately, you've had to go through a few sort of rejections. I don't like the word rejection along the way. But you're going you're gonna to be coming really good at interviewing. And that's a good thing. The other, the other thing I talk about in Data Science Infinity is I'm not trying to plug data science infinity. It's just, a, it's just happens to be a tutorial that uh -huh, I have. We got you. And it's called, <laughs> I'll put a sign up soon. Uh, it, it's, it's called let's um, reframe the way we think about 
rejections, right? So, so don't think of a, of, a, of a rejection from an interview as, as a step back in the process. Think of it as being one step closer to getting the job that's right for you. So in most cases, in most cases, you're not going to get the job because it wasn't the right one for you. And that might be because, you know, your, your skills weren't what they were looking for. It might be because you had a bad interview. It might be because there's some interviewer bias, right? It's a human process. You might've had a great interview, but you know, they just happened to go with somebody else because they didn't really know what they were doing themselves in terms of the interviewing process. But all of those things, when you don't get a, when you don't get a role, that wasn't, it wasn't meant to be, but you're one step closer to getting the role that is meant to be. And it's, it's hard to think about that at the time. It really is, right? It's so much easier to say that than to actually do it. But eventually you're going to get a role and they're going to say, do you know what? We love you. You're the right person for this. You're, you know, your skills are great for what we want. Um, you know, we can see that you're looking to build in these areas and these are the areas that we're looking to build into too. And therefore, when you start that job, you're going to be in this really good place. You're not going to be in a, you're not going to be in a job where you don't have the skills for it and it's stressful and it's a struggle. You're going to go in there and they've got faith in you and you're going to deliver on that because this was a good fit. And like I say, it is harder to do than to say that, but it's true. It's, you know, there's always things you miss out on in life and it's hard at the time, but it all works out in the end. And, and that match between you and the company that you end up getting the role at will be so much better than the ones that you missed out on. Even if, you know, you missed out on a role at Google and it was your life's dream to work at Google, it just wasn't meant to be, or maybe you'll get there later in your career. I just, I think stay super positive, stay confident. The worst thing you can do when interviewing is to lose your confidence. Always, always keep thinking about the value that you can add. Remember that you are good at what you do um, and, and go into every interview with, <clears throat> with that attitude. Yeah. Also too, um, what came out over dinner, which I did not realize, well, I don't know why you didn't share this with me is that you are now being courted by recruiters, right? Like how did that happen? What we actually, we actually didn't get into this over dinner. I, I kind of made a mental note of we need to save this for the podcast. So how did that happen? Um, well, I'm not exactly sure where they found my information, whether it was LinkedIn or something like ZipRecruiter. Um, the first role was the hiring manager himself, but these two next um, informational interviews today are from recruiters. So I don't, I haven't even seen the job posting yet, but I just know the title okay, and I'm not sure where they reached out to me from. Is that your question? Well, I mean, did they each reach out via email or LinkedIn? Like what medium did they use? Oh, so the first one reached out through an email and then another reached out uh, through a text message. Huh. Which was interesting. That's interesting. I haven't had that one happen before. Well, I don't know. You're doing something right. It's funny because you were so down last night. And it's like, Molly, this is huge that you are now having, I mean, think of it like this. You, You are having opportunity come to you as opposed to like going out and, 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 having to apply to all these places, people are coming to you and saying, hey, I, wanna, I want you to interview at this place. And I don't know, Andrew, if you've talked much about recruiters, it's an interesting concept that we haven't talked about a ton. I have quite a few recruiters that have pretty much stayed in contact with me. Like, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Harnham. I think they're actually based out of um, the UK, but they reached out to me years ago. Um, and then there's also Tech Systems, which is local 
um, tech systems back. And this was like three years ago when I was hosting the Tableau user group here, they sponsored one of our events and I kind of got to know them. And I mean, they get they They are, I think they make a commission off of each time they land someone and the person stays for a year. So that, that is something that to be explored and Molly, congrats. That's awesome. So Andrew, what are your thoughts on, on recruiters and kind of how to stand out to them? Well, standing out to a recruiter can be slightly more difficult sometimes than standing out to an actual hiring manager because a lot of the time, and it varies, there are good recruiters who understand the data industry and there are recruiters who don't understand the data, the data industry. If you find good ones, try and build your relationship with them because they, they will then put you forward for roles that are more relevant to you. They won't put you forward for roles which they think you're relevant for, but they don't quite understand what the job description was. So they put the wrong people forward and that can just lead to pain for the candidate and for the company itself. So, so if you find good recruiters, try and stick with them. There are a lot of, there are a lot of recruiters who aren't so efficient, but when you, when you find the good ones, go for it. it. It's, it's very common in the UK to go through a recruiter. It's a big industry. I'm not sure if it's the same exactly in the States. Um, but most roles that I got in the UK were via a recruiter. Definitely. Um, when you, when you're trying to talk to them, it's less about going into the real specifics of it specifics of what you did again they're not a data scientist they're not a data analyst so you've got to try and you've got to try and show them that you're a good match for the job more than prove your skill set i suppose um so it's a slightly different conversation in that respect and then how did they find you is it just from your personal brand on linkedin or through a referral so often well in the uk at least you know, all of the recruitment agents have a website and they'll have certain jobs available or, you know, there's, there's always indeed, uh, you know, websites like that, job boards like that. And each of those jobs will be put up by a recruiter. So when you apply, you apply to the recruiter. Um, and then sometimes, yeah, they'll, they'll get in touch via um, LinkedIn as well. But it, it kind of depends. It, it's, it's how most people get jobs in the UK, you know, at a lower level. As soon as you get up to a higher level, it's more around relationships and networking mm -hmm. but but at that lower level where most of the jobs are it, it's it's big i've okay. got i've got a couple of recruiters in the uk who i um am sort of very impressed with um and i recommend them to anyone in the uk that says do you know how do i can sort of get a role i say get in touch with these people because they're the you know they're the experts in the space they know what's going on at the moment in terms of the jobs that are available Okay, so you just mentioned kind of early stage in a career, it's common for people in the UK to go with recruiters. On that note, kind of on that conversational thread, Molly, I know you have some imposter syndrome around, do, am I skilled enough? So Andrew, the question I have for you is, how proficient do you need to be at any given skill for an entry level job? Is it just I've taken a few LinkedIn courses or I've worked for a year with Excel or I mean, like, how do you how do you think through that? Uh, it's it's not a black or white question. I, you know, there's no black or white answer to it, I don't think, um, because you could have just, say, learned Python in your basement in a month and you might just happen to be incredible at it. Right. And I still think right. you could claim it. I don't think there's a real clean cut way to do that. Um, 
I would I would say as a, a nice way to think about it would be don't worry about too much about how many courses you've done or don't worry about a certain time frame. I would just say when you've built something with it, so whether it's Tableau, whether it's Python, you know, whatever it may be, whether you've built something with it, and that doesn't have to be the most complex thing in the world, but but when you've built something that's somewhat substantial, like it's something that would add value to a business perhaps, um, then I think you can talk about it in terms, uh, sorry, you can talk about that as something that's on your, you know, a skill set that you have, because when you actually get into an interview or you're on a phone screen or whatever it may be, you've, you've got something to back up why you know Python. I know Python and I've done this with it is better than I know Python and I took this course. It, it's, it's the same as the, we, what we've talked about already. It's, it's showing what you can do with that. And I think if you've built some, you've built something that, a hiring manager might be interested in, then I think you you can put it down. At the end of the day, what's the worst that can happen, really? If you put Python and then when you go in and they say oh, you don't know Python well enough, then you go, cool, I'll keep learning it. But but at right. least you got at least you got into the interview chair, right? And you you had a yeah. crack. You could just say, I don't, I didn't know, I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> so Molly, what was the question that you had in this phone screening? Because what's interesting is that you felt really confident during that because because we hang out, we hung out right after that phone screen, and now you hanging out last night you were kind of down but I mean I'm like proud of you I see progression like I I can I mean so for those of you who are watching who haven't kind of been following this um the uh, whole Molly story arc is that um Molly I would say what two months ago you you officially decided you want to get into analytics you started taking courses you've taken um quite a few um Tableau courses, you don't have a portfolio, which we're fixing, we're going to be fixing that soon. Um, You've worked in Excel for a year, like working with Excel. um, And now you have as of what, this week, you've had three interviews. I think that's a pretty impressive timeline for someone who just looked to pivot. So what, what, tell us about this um, conversational or the screening interview, like what happened? What what questions did they ask? What was it like? Um, you know, kind of your basic questions of what is your experience working with a team and what was that like? Um, what would you do in a scenario where you made a big mistake and thousands or millions of dollars were at, were at stake? How would you go about that? Um, let's see, what were some of the other questions? There's you know. one about skills. So did he say top three, what are your top three skills? No, he, no, that question wasn't asked. Um, but he did ask, you know, what, what is your experience with Excel like? And, you know, I had explained that, you know, I've been working with Excel every day for the past year, but then also throughout my academic career, being in the STEM field, you use data in Excel all the time to create pivot tables and that sort of thing. And um, I didn't give specific examples. Um, so he said, okay, I just wanted to make sure that you knew things, you know, like conditional formatting, this, that, and the other. And I just said, yeah. And I think what I should have done was elaborate instead of just agreeing. <laughs> Perhaps that didn't, I didn't sell myself there. Um, it was a week ago. So I'm trying to remember the <laughs> other questions, but you know, it's kind of a standard question. Okay, so Andrew, now let's let's talk about with Molly how can she signal those skills? So I, I like the portfolio and the certification are a great way to do that. 
But in this scenario, how how would you advise her to kind of talk about, well, let's specifically root down on Excel. Well, I think I think it's like anything else. I, I think, Molly, I agree that maybe a good way to go about, you know, when they asked you that question would be to give an example of where you've used those things. Maybe, you know, you don't have to go into too much detail, but that idea that, yes, I've used it versus yeah, I used that in the in a project where I needed to do this. And, and they could just, it's enough color for them to go, oh yeah, okay, I can see why you'd use that. It sort of, it gives them that extra tick of confidence that that you are, you know, you are capable at doing that particular skill. Um, yeah, in terms of, yeah, it, to, to me, it's all about just giving examples where you did something rather than just saying that you did something or showing that you've done, you know, showing in terms of like a, a certification. If you can just go that one step extra, it doesn't need to be a, a, you know, a paragraph or a whole ramble of a story. It just needs to be an example. I, I think, you know, that they can, they can see it in practice or they can see that, you know, a scenario where you've used it, that, that takes you ahead. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. So, so when you're when you're preparing for interviews, you know you, you're going to start knowing that those types of questions are going to come up. So, mm -hmm. so go back through your resume and and when you start getting you know a few more things into a portfolio of projects, you know go through it and and, and do that. Like we were saying, it's a little bit like the the star technique. Think about you know what was the project that you used that for? Um, what was it that you did? And you know what was the benefit of you doing it? And if you have those sort of three bullet points that can become a bit of a story that that can, in a hiring manager's mind, translate into value that you could add, or at least it sort of, it proves that you can do it and it proves that you can, you understand why you did it. Okay. So Molly, I'm, I'm curious about what is the ratio of jobs you've applied for versus that you've got interviews for? Um one to 10. <laughs> these two um, interviews coming up, I haven't applied for these jobs. So I don't know what these are. But I also just applied um, for three or four days ago. <laughs> so okay. I haven't really expected to hear much back. But okay. Um, so maybe we should touch up your resume, which I know you've got that queued up, right? Yes, I do. And kind of as what we were speaking about before is, you know, I was needed to change my mindset i also changed my resume <laughs> since i've applied for um some of these other jobs i can share my screen if you'd like yeah let's see that because i would andrew i'd love to get your thoughts on um her resume because i know you've already taken a look at it yeah i had a very quick look before yeah so i do you want me to sort of just give my sort of high level thoughts on mm -hmm. some small things you could do um so I was thinking at the very, very top, um, so you've got your name there and you've got your, your details and then you go into, you go straight into your professional experience. And I think having, having a sort of brief outline of what you can bring to the role and it just needs to be a couple of sentences, but, but kind of under your name in a slightly bigger font than the rest of it. And it just, it quickly gives them a flavor of what it is, you know, who, who you are and what you can bring. Um, and, and when I advise um, people to do that for data science roles, I, I, I urge them to always 
started or at least put it in there with that you like to solve problems with data science solutions something along those lines that's more than i'm sort of giving more examples from maybe like data science specific roles but what you find with a lot of resumes in, in data science is people just want to say i know python i know tensorflow i know tableau they just want to tell you about the skills but if you kind of just start with a nice sentence about how you like to solve problems it seems like such a subtle change, but it, it can genuinely put you above other candidates who are just shouting about their skills because that's what 95% of people are doing. Um, that's so good like for to hear because on, online, I constantly hear erase your objective, you know, erase your snapshot. So um, I'm glad to hear that because I have since erased that. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, like for a, for, a, for a data science role, I, I tell people to put something like, um, you know, like as their, their sort of intro statement, like I apply data science and machine learning to solve business problems and deliver impact and tangible value. Um, and then like, you know, like something which just has a couple of good keywords in it, like I'm passionate about the industry, curious about why things work, and I'm always looking to learn and improve. And it's, it seems a little bit cheesy, right? But it's, it says I like solving business problems, it says you're passionate, and it says that you're looking, you've got a growth mindset. And though, again, and, and I talk about this a lot, I don't know if this comes from my psychology degree way back in the day, but I'm always looking about these sort of subconscious things that can have an impact. But I've seen this when I, when I look at CVs and resumes, I know what makes a difference to me as a sort of a, an interviewer or a hiring manager or somebody that's screening that, you, you know what it is that makes you put that resume into the, yeah, I'll have another look at that later pile versus that I probably won't. And it's, it's often simple things because most people that are applying for roles are, are, are similar in terms of their skill sets. That's why they're applying for that role. So you, it is some subtle things you can do to help sort of put you at, at the top of the pack. Um, and then I, I, where is it? I've lost your, oh, here we go. Um, so I was thinking, um, so you guys mentioned that you're going to build a portfolio of projects. I think that is something to focus on ASAP because I think you could even if it's one or two projects um, I think that's a section you could add that that will really match you and your skills with the types of roles that you're looking to get um, I was thinking maybe once you've done that portfolio of projects that's going to be enough of a section that you could maybe drop off something like the massage therapist one because it's not necessarily specific to the role so so the, the reality is and it's not it's not a good system, but recruiters and hiring managers, when they're looking through resumes, they, and people have tried to put statistics on this, like they look at them for six seconds or whatever it is, but um, it, it's more the fact that they have a very busy day job and they've got a hundred of them to look through. So it really is about giving them a concise, but impactful look at who you are and what you can bring to them. Um, it's, it's people, other people talk about this as well. It's a marketing document. It's saying, why why am i the person for this role why should you invest time in talking to me on the phone or, or bringing me in to to talk to you um so so having things that are maybe less relevant they, they can be fine to be honest it, it doesn't matter too much but once you've got that project section which is you know that's that's going to be something they're looking at and saying wow that, that's the sort of stuff that i that, that we need in our team things like the massage therapist one's going to be slightly less relevant to that if you were applying for other, you know, other roles, then maybe you could keep it on. But but for a for an analyst role, it, it's probably not relevant. So you want you want all the information on there to be as relevant as possible. Um, 
And then in the, yeah, so in the data mining specialist role at the top, yeah. um, so you've got one bullet point for each of those. I would, I would flesh those out a little bit, kind of like what we've talked about earlier with the kind of the star technique. So break that into three, three bits. So, you know, why, you know, what was the project? Um, what did you do, which is kind of what you've got there. And then what was the impact? And that impact doesn't have to be like, I, it made a million dollars or whatever. It can just be, a, it, it made this process more efficient. It, it, it just, it just shows them why you did it. And it, and it says, it, it speaks to them in the terms of why they're hiring somebody. They're hiring somebody because they don't have enough resource at the moment, or they're feeling under pressure or the people in their team are too busy. So if you can sort of show, I saved this much time or I added this much to the, the bottom line of sales or whatever it may be. It's, it's talking to them in the language that they are looking for in reality. Um, so I just fleshed them out a little bit more because I think that's the most uh, relevant uh, in terms of projects that you've got on there for, for getting an analyst role. I think those are the most relevant projects. So give them the, the credit they deserve, you know, in a, in a sort of show, showcasing them to, to people reading it. Um, and then the only other thing I was thinking, and this is another really simple one that you could do as well, um, is under education and certifications, you've got some really good things there, right? Like things that I am sure that you have gained a lot of value for. But to me, like, and we touched on this earlier, um, the fact that you did those things in isolation doesn't doesn't hold a lot of weight with me and I don't mean that in any sort of bad way mm -hmm. under each of those if you put sort of a, another bullet point I, I'm not sure how exactly you you might want to format it you can do it however you're comfortable but just put key learnings colon and then a couple of things that you learned from the course and you might have to go back and check the course material and and remember what it was that you did for example but you you will have you will have learnt specific things in that course and, and think about them from like solving a problem type of thing like you learn so the google data one for example like the six steps for data analysis process like what does that mean okay. what, what could what could that like what's the value add there if, if you know what i mean so the sql programming and coding challenges you could put key learnings um allowed me to you know or, or, you know, I, I don't know how to word it exactly, but the fact that now you know how to uh, manipulate data and extract business insight, for example, and that might be a little bit too vague even. You might want to go slightly more specific if you can. Um, the same with the Excel Tableau one. I'm sure that when you did that, you, you learned specific tangible things that you might just be able to put a sentence on. And then, then it goes from, the fact that you did a certification, which is which is awesome, to something when I'm reading this going, cool, that's what I'm looking for in my team. And, and like I said before, when you find um, a, a role or a hiring manager that is really well matched with your skill set, they're going to see that they're not you're not going to miss out because you you didn't give it the sort of credit it deserved. Okay, yeah. So those are, those would be my kind of high level, but but quite simple, you know, easy to do. You could do that in, a, in an afternoon kind of thing, but I think that would make it much more powerful. Okay, yeah, those are really good suggestions. I think, you know, it, it was looking a little bleak here under just these two certifications being arbitrarily listed as opposed to any key learning. So I think that's, that's a good yeah. suggestion to kind of make everything flow together.
Thank and, you. And I, no worries at all. I, I can tell you from from going through hundreds upon hundreds of of uh, analytics and data science CVs, you don't see people doing that. But when you do, it it, it screams the fact that they're different. They're thinking about things more than other people. And, and all you need to do is get yourself slightly more towards the top of the pile enough that you get probability working in your favor, that you're going to get into more phone screens. You're going to get into more interview chairs. And as soon as you can do that, you know, you'll end up getting a job much quicker because probability says that you will, right? You're at least putting yourself in with a chance because at the end of the day, a CV or a resume doesn't get you a job. It just gets you into the interview chair. So it really is a marketing document. So just just give everything that you've done the credit it deserves because I'm sure those projects um, that you've worked on and I'm sure those certifications that you've done, there's more to them from a, a value point of view. Okay. And one last question is um, what, you know, John David had suggested having a skills section. Um, do you think having like a laundry list skill set is something that would be beneficial? Or do you think that maybe I should hold that off to the project section that you were talking about and kind of intertwine those two? Uh, a skill a skill section is completely fine. Um, don't don't go overboard with the skills section, keep it to the, to the relevant ones. So, and like we were saying before, that there are going to be certain skills that you feel comfortable putting on there and certain ones that you might not feel so comfortable putting on there, put the ones that you feel comfortable on there. Definitely. Because again, that's the type of thing that if you don't put it on there, people might read it and go, Oh, she, she doesn't know this skill, but you did, you just didn't let them know. And again, that's doing yourself a disservice. Um, so I think a skills section is good. And I think everyone should have a skills section because like I talk about how it's all about value and stuff like that, but the skills and the tools are what we use to drive that value. They're still a huge important part. I'm, I'm never saying that skills and tools aren't important. I just, I feel like they're the sort of tools we use to add value so but but yeah definitely a skill section to, to ramble my way to an answer right well also too the reason i wanted to her to have a skill section is that if she's applying to very large companies they might be using applicant tracking software and she might get weeded out of even being considered so just make sure that um i mean molly looking at this it, it looks like in the education and certifications you do have the um the tools that you would need or the skill sets. So I think you're good to go. I, I, I still might put the skills all in one. I think what I did, what they told me in my MBA program was to, I actually had my skills underneath that intro where it said like, I'm a business analyst looking to solve business problems, relevant skills, you know, Tableau, Excel, business analysis. Um, but, you know, I don't, that was years ago, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the first sort of 10, 20 seconds where you're looking at a, a resume is kind of about box ticking, right? You, you're saying you're trying to weed out ones where there's no point in me investing any more time in this person because as much as they might be great at something else, they, they don't have the sort of the core competencies that we, right. we just need for the role. So, so yeah, I, I think that's a good idea. I agree. Put, put the, the intro in and then the skills section under that and then go into the professional experience and then the education and certificates. 
okay. um, or, and your 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 project, your portfolio of projects as well can go in between those two, perhaps. Awesome. All right, my well, good job. Thank You've you. You've been in the hot seat. Al, you're in the hot seat now. So we've actually got what some video submissions for our Q and A. We do, and uh, for anyone that's uh, that's been watching and thinks that the interview has been too serious thus far, uh, I have the cure for that. All you got to do is is uh, bring a couple of Marines into the problem, and we will we will kill all seriousness. So, I was thinking maybe I should have some uh, should have some music for when I share my screen. Just fumbling through this. I was about to say, don't get us copyright struck. Have us have us take it down. Share sound is on. Okay, perfect. Okay, so I have all these questions written down for if you can't hear them. Here we go. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Just fishing during my lunch break here at home. Uh, thanks for coming to speak with us this week, Andrew. And my question is, what's the best way for us data upscalers to not be overwhelmed by all of the vast amount of great resources out there? Thanks again. That cracks me up. He's just fishing on his lunch break. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it looked like such a well-stocked pond, too. Really. <laughs> this is the company you keep, is it, Al? This is this oh, is yes. one of your. Yeah, right. Okay. For, for twenty-three me, yeah. years, man. Twenty-three years. <laughs> Tells me all I need to know about you. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> um, all right. So it was a good question. It was a good question. So I think we touched on it earlier, right? Well, in terms of like online courses that that industry is is growing there's so many options available to you and i i literally posted about this today on um on linkedin which is quite funny um i don't know the the things you can probably do from an online course point of view there are so many options and it's understanding you know which one you should take i mean maybe look into the instructor that that's taking the course if they maybe worked at the types of companies that you might like to work at you know in terms of where you want to go in your career because um, it, it kind of means that they'll be teaching they'll be teaching in a way that might it might help you head in the right direction in terms of you know the things they're teaching you but also the way to think about and explain things and frame the problems that you're solving so try and find a match in terms of where you're maybe wanting to go that's quite a good way to think about it um you can always see if they've got some free material that's available to watch to ensure that you kind of sync with how they teach as well. Cause there's so many different teaching styles and some people will love one style and some will love another. And it's just kind of human to, to prefer different things. So if, if there is some free content available, have a bit of a look, um, look at the reviews of a program is probably a good way to do it. Um, are people, I guess there's two types of reviews are people just saying that, the 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 program was good or are they saying this course helped me achieve x or y and and do they sync up with you like if your goal is to get a, a data science job at the end of the day like are people saying you know this course helped me get a job because that yeah. will help you feel a bit more comfortable investing you know if, if it costs money that will help you feel like that's a good investment of your time and money um and then i guess just at a higher level like think about what what are they what are they teaching what is the curriculum is it and, and and i see this a lot and it, it's not just courses it's articles on medium or videos on youtube about you know in terms of teaching other people but a lot of the time the, the content people are teaching is just their opinion that this is what i think you should learn because i learned it and it doesn't necessarily translate well to your goals or success in the industry 
Um, so maybe see if there's some sort of, you know, genuine industry need or want for the skills that they're teaching. Just because it's a flashy new tool or concept doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to get results at the end of the day. So have a look at what they're teaching, I think is a good way to think about it. Yeah, and I think that's why it's, uh, it's kind of fascinating right now. Uh, I'm going through the Google cert. I know Molly's doing it as well. And there's, there's just a ton of people out there reviewing and, and kind of explaining it as they go through each course. Um, so like you said, may not be for everybody. And you, I think you can find out pretty quick. And with that, with a, a low cost, whether or not it's right for you. Mm. I think I, I talked to Ken G on his podcast and he said, he said for data science infinity, he said, if, if you can stand the side of Andrew's bald head, then you should take his course. If you can't, then probably not for you. And this was, this was one of the first times I talked to Kenji. Uh, he came out with that. <laughs> yeah. He's uh, we've, we've had kind of a, a, a rolling uh, joke going with him and Alex Freyberg for a while now. So yeah, it's a lot of fun. Ken's got a great sense of humor. Yeah. All right. So we're ready for the next one. Yeah. Says, if you're if you're claiming the UK, this is one of your countrymen here, Sean Tom Ryan. Hi guys, Andrew Jones is in the house. Okay, Andrew, what's your opinion on choosing the right education to become a data scientist or a data analyst? Second question, what's your opinion? Which one is better, PlayStation or Xbox? Right. Well, I don't know if he's just tried to set me up, tee me up for a, a bit of promotion here, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> clearly, the only possible answer here is Data Science Infinity, right? Surely. <laughs> well, no, you do I... know that we're building a learning platform as what? well. Silver. Well, so it's an <laughs> analytics. It actually might sync up with a data scientist learning totally. platform. Well, I think we're going after different markets, but um, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, on a serious note, I my aspiration for data science infinity, data science infinity is to make it, you know, the ultimate way to, you know, the ultimate place to learn data science. You know, I did a huge amount of research into what hiring managers actually need and want in the industry um, I spent you know seven months uh, creating the content just to make sure that it was you know created as intuitively as possible um, and I don't leave you high and dry you know I, I, I invest in in you you know if you you know if you're on the kind of the premium plan you know you get unlimited guidance guidance and support for your entire journey which is you know something you don't find in, in other places because this is kind of how my business model works is if you get the results that you want, then the time resource that that I need to allocate to you kind of drops because you've achieved what you wanted to achieve. Um, so my, you know, I need to get you there as quickly as possible, which is how I've sort of structured my course. But you do get unlimited access to everything, you know, including the guidance and support because I, I genuinely believe it, it is a learning journey. It's not just a destination. It's not just a certificate. It's it's learning. It's applying, and it's getting you know results. So that's kind of how I structured it. So while I, while I joke that Data Science Infinity is the best place, I, that is my aspiration. That's why I sort of built it the way I built it. And then he asked a second question, do you own PlayStation and Xbox? 
Well, I I worked at PlayStation, so obviously I'm a little bit biased because that was an awesome, awesome role. I'm not a I'm not much of a gamer myself, to be honest. Um, and it was actually, funnily enough, one of the reasons they they wanted me to come in and do the sort of machine learning consulting that I was doing because they said, well, you don't have any. That they'd got a lot of gamers to come in because obviously people who apply to Sony PlayStation are often heavy gamers. But he said they've got such strong opinions about what it should how it should work and everything he, he was like the the hiring manager at the time he said you know you've got a bit more of a, a non-biased attitude coming in you're going to tell us what the data says not what you think because a lot of the gamers that were coming in had super strong opinions but um wait gamers no, I, with opinions what i know right i know Crazy. but yeah i'd say playstation purely because it was an awesome place to work yeah so referring back to the first question i'm going to go out on a limb here and stay with me. I think there is room in the market for more than one learning platform in the data industry. Definitely. True false? Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and, and a lot of the other guys like um, John David, I, I talked to Dave Langer a lot, you know, like all these guys, we're, we're kind okay. of in sim, similar places. We're, we're doing similar things, but there's not specific crossover. But I'm so happy to help other people in the in the course creation business because I know the struggles and I know the hard work that goes into it. And you know, John, we we had a great discussion a week or so ago, and you gave me all sorts of tips about YouTube and stuff. And it's it's great that we've got that. I think the more that we can support each other, the better. Really, uh, there's heaps of space for everyone to exist in the market. I think. Absolutely. Okay, so next up is one of our favorites, uh, hailing from the. Windy city of Chennai, India. This is Shruti Jane. Shruti. Hello, Andrew. So my question would be, uh, what inspired you to make your course of Infinity Data Science? And my second question would be, nowadays resume goes through an ATS process. So can you give us some tips of how we can make our resume go through uh, ATS software? Thank you so much. Cool. So what inspired me to make data science infinity? Well, well, I, I mean, I've, I've always liked the idea of creating something, but I was always, you know, in roles and I didn't really have the time to do it. Um, but like I said at the start, I've been in a really fortunate position to have interviewed all of these people in my career. And I, you know, I just saw that there was this huge disconnect between the, the content people were learning from and, and what, were, what hiring managers were after. And, and I just wanted to create something to bridge that gap, which is why I sort of created it the way I did. Um, and then in March of 2020, so last year, my time at Sony, I was consulting or contracting at Sony and, and there were some tax changes in the UK that, that meant that the whole, you know, the whole sort of contracting industry, the bottom fell out of it. Um, so I thought, well, this is the time to do it. And I sort of budgeted about two months to create all the content I had, exactly what I wanted to create. And I was, you know, I'd been talking to hiring managers and recruiters, you know, to figure out what it was I should be putting in the curriculum. And I thought two months, two months will be fine. And then seven months later, I'd just finished all of the content. Um, so I've been launched since about October of last year. Um, and it's just been the best experience. I mean, I, I every day I'm just working with, passionate students and seeing them move towards their goals and achieve their goals. You know, a lot of people in data science infinity, you know, they've, they've done the, the course now they're getting towards completion and they're starting to get roles, you know, I'm helping them get roles and that's a really cool, um, a cool feeling. 
and then her second question was about ATS, wasn't it? I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tips or tricks to to get your resume through the yeah. ATS and filter to the top. Yeah, I, I I talk to people about this a little bit. I've been fortunate enough to never have to actually go through the ATS the system. I don't, you know, from my from what I know about it and what I hear, you know, aspiring data scientists and data analysts who have to deal with it. I I don't like it at all. I. And I, and I don't mean that just from a candidate point of view. I, I really don't feel it's the right way to understand who the best candidates are. I think companies think that it makes things so much more efficient for them, but it really doesn't in the long run. I mean, it certainly doesn't for candidates, but I don't think you necessarily, you know, it doesn't help you find necessarily the right fit. And that can lead to problems in the future where, you know, people leave the company because it wasn't what they thought, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but in terms of tips and tricks you can do, I mean, it's it's all about sort of tailoring your resume to the job description for each different application, which is why it's so inefficient. You know, trying to match keywords from your resume to the job description because that's a big part of what it's looking for. Um, I've heard one thing you can do is, um, you know, that, that can help that matching process is when you use, don't just use an acronym. So things like MBA or thing like, you know, K nearest neighbors with KNN use K nearest neighbors in brackets, K and N, use, use both to make sure you're getting as much of a match as possible. Not that they're probably looking to match on K and N specifically, but um, uh, I think tables and columns, things like that can cause errors as well as non-standard fonts. Uh, headers and footers can cause problems. Overall, I just, I really don't like the system. I think, it, I don't think it works well for anyone. I, I think companies think it saves you time, but it, it doesn't help you find the best candidates. I, I don't know if you guys have a similar opinion or not. I'm, I'm anti it. Um, I'm, I'm pretty neutral. Um, I, I understand why they're doing it because uh, we had Fabio, who's a hiring manager for um, an, he's an analytics manager and hires analysts. He says he gets over a thousand applications for each role that he posts. So um, it's just not manageable from the human level. Um, but the advice that I would um, give is go check out jobscan.com and it allows you to, um, you, you get the URL for the job posting and then you submit your resume to their platform and it shows you how well the match you are. And it breaks it down percentage, this, they're like percentage breakdowns of like keywords, um, I don't know, soft skills. Like apparently you can, it, it gives you all of, I mean, it's so in depth, the level of um, advice that it gives you or feedback. Um, and also too, if you want advice on that, um, go back and check one of our earlier episodes. We had Sharon Vogler, who is, uh, I think she runs admissions for Wake Forest or is some, somehow involved with Wake Forest Masters of Analytics program. She goes through, I mean, in very, very much detail um, how applicant tracking software works and then um, we actually do it with one of my Greensboro College undergraduate students from last semester. Yeah, I think the theme we've heard the last couple of weeks is the best way through the ATS is around uh, get yourself an internal referral and uh, right. you won't get screened at all. Your resume goes right to the top. So uh, we did not make it a clean sweep with the video submissions. Our friend Rajesh Sigdal, uh, I, I asked and asked and he said, no, I'll do it next week. So. He is the only one that I have to read this question, making me do all the work. Uh, and what he asks are, how are advanced degree programs taken into consideration when deciding to hire candidates? 
he is thinking of pivoting uh, from the academic world where he's been for a bit um, into the data world. He's wondering if his advanced degree would, is gonna benefit or harm him. At, and John David, I believe he's getting a PhD in geography, if I'm not mistaken. So, but, but a PhD, not specifically in data science, could that be an obstacle to him getting work? I personally don't think it would harm you in any way. Um, I think, you know, it's obviously a great achievement and he should be super proud of it, that. And I don't think anyone's going to see that and have any negative connotations, you know, towards it. But my personal opinion from, you know, seeing a lot of CVs and resumes come in and interviewing people is that it probably doesn't help you that much. Um, maybe a little bit more at the start of your career. We touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, it, it'll help you a little bit more because it gives people more of a guarantee that you are capable of certain things. But after you know you've you, you've got a bit more work experience in your career, and you you know you have the ability to showcase your your problem solving skills and the value you can add with with more specific you know with projects more specific to the role, then that's going to fade into the background. So at the start, I don't think it can harm it in any way, but it probably isn't going to get you too far. Um, but he said he's thinking about pivoting into the, the analytics world. I think he said, um, I, I would say if you're thinking about getting into the data world and you're genuinely passionate for it, I'd go for it. Start working on projects and, and document them well, you know, in the way that we talked about before and start showcasing the value that you can add using the tools and skills that you you know, you learn along the way because that's the key thing that hiring managers want or at least should be wanting if, if they're recruiting in the right way, I think. So yeah, it's it's a great thing to do. It's a great achievement. But if if you're wanting, if you genuinely are passionate about getting into the data world, then yeah, just, just start building projects and start learning. John, David, any context on, uh, on Rajesh and kind of where he is in his path? Um. Yeah, I think that the the PhD is the, I don't know, yeah, you're right. I don't think it's going to harm it's not going to hurt him, but um a PhD in kind of an unrelated field. Although, I mean, why why not get a job that is data related in that space? So that way you're kind of stacking your expertise and then you're also building those skills and bringing them in. So it's kind of like a a, a unique a unique brand skill stack that that he can develop. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I think that that makes sense. Uh, I mean, Andrew, what, what are your thoughts on kind of like skill stacking? Like, yeah, I think I think that's a really cool idea. I w- I wouldn't have thought of that off the bat, but yeah, that that's a really good idea. I think when you when you do cross skill sets over. So did you say he was he, did, he was maybe doing a PhD in geography? Was it? Um, yes. So if you're doing it, like if you're doing a PhD in geography, but you're also learning sort of data science or data analytics, I think you could really put yourself in a great position. And maybe maybe that sort of stuff could be really cool in your PhD as well. Maybe you could find ways to, to go about things that other people haven't in the past because you've got much more of an analytical mindset, you know, maybe more so than what other people have done. And you can, you can push the boundaries in the field because, you know, when, when skill sets do overlap, I think that's when big breakthroughs in the field happen because you've got people who are able to do things other people weren't able to do, you know, and they can sort of push the envelope a little bit more. Yeah. It's a cool idea. I like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just makes you have a very unique brand. Um, And because 
I don't know. I mean, there might be five people in the entire globe who have a data science skill set and have a PhD in geography. I mean, I, I think that is some really kind of unique advice that I don't think very many people think about. Like, what is your skill stack? What is your brand stack? And how do you fit kind of out in a marketplace? Because, I mean, it kind of gets back to like analytics and education. Um, Andrew, there are very few people that are kind of in this space. And I'm kind of surprised by that. Like you would think that there would be more educate people kind of flooding into YouTube and LinkedIn teaching analytics, but I don't know, I guess it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting to me that it's not more saturated than it, than it is currently. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe as you and I know, it's a, it's a huge investment of time. I mean, maybe that's the barrier people right. people aren't willing to invest that time or maybe they just don't have that time because they've got other priorities as well i mean you know it was just the most it was the, the hardest i've ever worked far harder than <laughs> anything i've done before was creating in this this course absolutely yeah the the process of creating content can be grueling because I, I think i have something like 15 courses out at this point and um i'm going to be going back out to california to record some more content for linkedin so uh, that's what I'm going to be doing this summer. <laughs> All right, Andrew. So how can people find you? What's the best way to connect? Uh, so my, I mean, my, my social media presence is mainly just on LinkedIn. So you can find me there. I have one of the most common names in the world. So uh, my, my, my name on LinkedIn is Andrew Jones dash data science infinity. So you'll find me there. Uh, I've started up a YouTube channel recently. Um, which is slowly making progress. I, I need to, I've got a bunch of ideas of, of, of cool content that I want to put out there and I'll start putting some of the stuff from Data Science Infinity on there as well. Um, so you can look me up on there. That's just under Andrew Jones. Um, and then if you want to learn more about Data Science Infinity specifically, just go to data-science-infinity.com and there's there's all of the details around the course. There's, you know, feedback from students. There's the full curriculums there if you just want to base your learning around that. Because remember, I've gone out and I've talked to hiring managers and I've said, you know, what are the key things you want from people coming in? And what are the things you're less fussed on? And I've, I've distilled that down into the, the course. And there's a whole bunch of free content you can watch as well. Um, and I, I should mention that I'm actually, I'm, I'm running a massive discount at the moment where you can get 60% off the premium plan you can actually get 84% off the price of the the upskill plan which is kind of the content only one um, so if you do want to take advantage of that that's for the the whole month of May um, so it could be a great way to get onto the program um, I, the reason that I'm doing that was I, I ran a scholarship last month to get some people on who who potentially wouldn't have the means to get on otherwise and and I had like 700 and something applications from 50 countries around the world. It was amazing. And I could only pick three of them. Um, and then I, I wanted to run a discount because there were just so many cool applications from people and I wanted to do a really meaningful discount. So I did that and I've just met so many cool, passionate people who want to get into the, the field. And I thought, you know, with everything that's going on in the world at the moment, it feels like a good time to, to meet more people who are, you know, maybe unable to get on originally. So yeah, if, if you want to, if you want to know more about that, you can get in touch with me on LinkedIn and I'll, I'll share you, share all the details with you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was an awesome interview. No, thank you guys. It's, it's a really fun interview. I think there were some really good questions and it was, it was a really nice one, you know, running through Molly's, 
resume and, and thinking about, you know, um, ways that she can improve, you know, in the job search, because that's the kind of the stuff I do a lot in data science infinity. I do find that really rewarding. So that was a really nice thing. I know you do that in, in each of your episodes, but it was nice to come on and be part of yeah. that. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.